0: So this morning, we are going to jump into a new series. So if you have uh, your Bibles or access to the Scriptures, we're going to jump into the book of 1 John, which is way towards the end of the New Testament. So uh, you can find your way there. We're going to look at just four verses this morning, verses 1 through 4, of chapter 1. And the series that we're walking through is, is entitled Authentic, Learning to Live Fully Integrated Lives. And I'll explain what that means. So when we jump in, into the book of 1 John, you're going to understand some important things about what John was writing about and who he was writing to that really help us understand what we need to glean and learn and, and listen to today from what, the, what 1 John says to us. But one of the challenges that we face in our culture is that we, we have a tendency to live, and probably the best term is not integrated, but we live compartmentalized lives, so we have sections of our life where we think and act a certain way that may be different than other parts of our lives that we, we act and think differently. We separate them. We have different contexts, and so we act different ways. And what happens when we become fragmented or compartmentalized, then we become disconnected from truly being authentic, which is being honest about what's inside. It doesn't mean authenticity. It doesn't mean perfection. It means what is on the inside actually comes to the surface and is reflected on the outside. That could be good or bad. But a lot of times what we want is we want what's on the outside to appear good, even though we know what's on the inside isn't so good after all. Another term that we'll use to describe a life like that is when we wear masks in our life, where instead of being authentic and reflecting what's really going on, good or bad inside, we put a mask on, and in that mask, what we're doing is we're we're doing things on the outside because we think this is what people want to see about me, and so I'm going to wear a mask. So one of the masks that we wear is a religious mask. And that is that on the outside, I make sure that my appearance and my actions and the words that I say around certain people are reflective of certain values and morals and concepts that come from Scripture because I want people to think that I'm religious, right? And so we put that mask on, but we know that there's certain places where we take it off. We take the mask off, and then that's who we really are. I think there's another mask that we also wear, and it's probably the best term, is it's a concealer mask, which is my life is falling apart, things are not going well, but boy, I'm going to smile, And I'm going to pretend everything's okay. And when people ask me, how am I doing? I'm going to say, I'm fine. Anybody ever said that lie? And you're like, I'm not fine at all. But they want to think that I'm fine, so I'm going to tell them that I'm fine. I think sometimes we also put on the Sunday mask. None of us would ever do that. That's a certain mask that when you walk into church on Sunday, you better make sure it's on, right? Even though you were just screaming at your spouse on the way to church this morning. But let me get that Sunday mask on. Everything's great. Our marriage is wonderful, right? None of us have ever done that before. What are we doing? We're just being dishonest with what's really going on in our lives. And many times we use those masks or we use those compartments to hide the sin and brokenness in our life that we don't want to be honest about. We don't want to bring it to the surface. And so uh, we're going to look at, at 1 John, and the reason that we're going to look at the book of 1 John is because when you do some research on what John was dealing with at his time and who he was writing to, one of the issues that he was dealing with at that time is it was a thing called Gnosticism. And, and one, of, one of kind of the tenets of Gnosticism in that thinking was that people had convinced themselves that the body and the spirit were separate entities so that in the physical realm you could live any way that you wanted to live and it would have no bearing or impact on your spirit because they're completely separated. They're not integrated. And so, obviously, from Scripture, we know that the spirit and the body really are integrated. In fact, we, if we sin in the body, it affects our spirit. It's not these two mutually exclusive realities. And so, the way people would live their lives, is they basically, they could go and do anything they wanted to do, and they still could find themselves thinking that they would be right with God. Why? Because I did it in the physical, and the physical's over here, but the spiritual remains intact and pure and right over here, and so I can live kind of these dual realities. That's kind of the thinking of Gnosticism. Now, when you think about that, that was 2,000 years ago that John was writing that. Does that sound somewhat familiar to today? If you look at in the church and you look in our culture today, you and I realize some, some things that are true about the way we live our lives. We live compartmentalized. We live in this dualistic reality of, even though we don't use necessarily the term spirit and physical, or spirit and body, or, or divine and kind of, carnal, but we live in this reality where I can live right with God over here, but I can have this separate reality over here that I just live the way that I want to live. That's why in our culture, you will see that we, we will have to have a sen- tendency to, to feel a sense of guilt and remorse in one area of our life, but we can disconnect from that to find ourselves in another part. We can kind of leave that behind or sometimes you'll see someone who can publicly confess that God is good or that Jesus is Lord or they th- can thank God in a speech and then when you look at the lifestyle that they live, it d- has nothing to do with God. Completely separate realities. We see this happen all the time that we can worship God in one moment and then we can, in the next moment we can be ticked off and mad at somebody else and it's almost like in a sense, and this is no, no, no disrespect to anyone who actually has this as a reality in life, but it's almost like spiritual schizophrenia. It's like one moment I live this way, and then the next moment I, I flip a switch and I'm here. What First John talks about, and what we're going to just start with briefly this morning, is this journey towards being integrated, which means that if everyone, everyone, everyone's seen the, the show Seinfeld, there's one episode where George, when George's worlds collide. And that's what authenticity is is when our worlds finally collide, where we can't keep the compartments separate anymore, and they all come together, which can be very difficult, but is the most healthy thing that can happen in our faith and our walk with Jesus, is to be authentic, to be truly transparent. And so what are we going to do just th- this morning briefly is you'll take a look at the first four verses. Let me read First John chapter uh, one, verses one through four, and we'll talk about really understanding the origins or the prerequisites of This authenticity in our life. So John writes this. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So I just want to briefly walk through these first four verses, because if you just look at the verses, there is one central thing that John's trying to get across. Jesus. He is the author, the originator, and ultimately understanding and knowing him is the prerequisite for truly experiencing authentic life to truly be integrated in our lives. And obviously, we know when Jesus came, he encountered a lot of hypocrisy. That's another term that we used, a lot of compartments where you had religious leaders who on the outside put the mask on, but on the inside, they were broken, and they were rebellious, and they were separate from what they were on the outside. So understanding that this morning, the first thing that you and I have to understand, kind of the prerequisite, the groundwork, the foundation for truly being authentic is that we have to embrace the author of life the one who started this. Listen to what John, he's talking about Jesus in verses one and two. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So he's talking about Jesus. Now remember, John's writing this after Jesus' death and his resurrection and he's saying to his writers, hey, remember Life comes from Jesus, and we have seen, heard, and touched life because it comes through Jesus. So he's starting off with this, this concept, and that Jesus was from the beginning. Jesus is the author of our life. He is the author of our way of life. He is the author of living. Therefore, he understands more than you and I will ever know about how we struggle with compartments in our lives. And the only way to truly be integrated, and the only way to truly be authentic and to be honest is if we embrace him first. First. Because one of the things that Jesus will always do, and this is sometimes why it's hard to follow Jesus, he will always force the inside out. He will. He will make it come to the surface. And sometimes we want to keep burying it and keep holding it down, but he brings it to the surface. We've experienced that. And so what what, what John is talking about here is he's talking about once we embrace Jesus, you are automatically on this journey to truly being authentic, to truly being transparent, to to destroy the walls of the compartments that keep us separate in our lives, to being honest about all that we're going through. See, ultimately, what you and I understand about our faith is, oh, John wrote 2,000 years ago, and, and, and the Christian faith at that time on the outside might have looked different because the world was different. And we, we live different. In fact, they didn't have what we have today. They didn't gather like this back when John was writing. They, had, they didn't have buildings. They had homes to meet in. They, they did things differently. So on the outside, faith looked different. But on the inside, it's the very same thing. It's a commitment to Jesus Christ. And even though we have 2,000 years of separation, the understanding of where authenticity comes from is the same and that's what one of the things I think that we, we lose over time is that we get caught up in the progression of how we do church. And we lose that the author of life is the same he's always been for the last 2,000 years. And obviously even longer than that because he's eternal. But understanding, if I'm going to truly be authentic, now for some, for most in this room, I think, like, well, I came to that place of faith. I understand who Jesus is. But it's reengaging once again letting jesus be the one that ultimately begins to define what we are supposed to be and how we're supposed to live one of the journeys of our church over recent years is to re-engage who jesus is because sometimes we get so wrapped up in church we forget that church is about jesus church is not about a building or a name or a worship experience or all the things that we give about church church is about jesus And so when we come back to this place and what John is saying, listen, John is referencing to his readers that he wrote, obviously, the Gospel of John. He says, listen, we've seen and we've heard and we've touched. It's about Jesus. And in a sense for us, I think the charge to us 2,000 years later is that for some of us and many of us, and I do this ongoingly, you have to go back to the Gospels, you have to read the Gospels and read the book of John again and ask this question, not with all of your religious kind of mask or filter, but ask the question again, who is is Jesus? And what does he mean for my life? And sometimes we forget that because when we go back to the scriptures, we go, oh, I forgot about that. I forgot that Jesus said that. I forgot that Jesus called me to that. I forgot that that's what it looks like when you really follow Jesus. I had kind of gotten into a religious system, but we re engaged Jesus, who uh, he's the author of life. It always has to go back to the foundation of where it came from. The, 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 the core of our faith has not changed, Jesus has not changed. We're in the middle of my favorite time of year, and that's called March Madness. It's called uh, college basketball, and I love basketball. and I love to watch the whole the journey of a, a, of a tournament that takes 68 teams and narrows them down. Now we have two. We have Villanova, and we have North Carolina, and, the, and eventually one of those teams will win tomorrow night, and I love the whole process. Basketball is my favorite sport. Basketball was created back years and years and years ago by a man named James Naismith, and he was a part of a YMCA, and he was given this instruction. You need to find a game that can be played indoors in cold weather that will keep young men busy. That was basically what he was charged with. So his idea was to put up a couple peach baskets and create this thing called basketball. And originally he had rules rules a list of rules, and, and although from his, the original, I mean, literally over a hundred years ago, him, the creation of basketball looked nothing like it does today, nothing at all, and yet all this time later as it progresses forward and it moves forward, it looks differently, but you know what? The rules still haven't changed. There's still the ultimate outcome for the basketball game is whoever scores the most points, guess what? Wins. It doesn't change. But back when James Naismith did it, nobody slam dunked. Nobody did 360s. Nobody had shoe contracts. Nobody had really cool uniforms. It was just a game to keep people busy indoors during the cold months. But the core was the same. If you and I, for a moment, and this is one of the, the things that all of all of us have to ask, and I think because I... And as a pastor, I have conversations with people and uh, so many times I'm listening for the filter and if they're engaged in certain things that they like or dislike, so many times what we're hung up on is we're hung up on church and we forgot about Jesus. They'll say, well, I don't like when our church does this or I really like when our church does that and I'm listening because underneath the surface what they're really dealing with, and especially when there's pushback on maybe something that our church or a church is doing, you have to ask the question, are you pushing back against church or really are you pushing back against Jesus? Because if you're pushing back against Jesus, you won't win. Because he'll push back because he loves you and he won't let you go and he won't leave you alone. Second thing, as far as the prerequisites of authenticity, is we have to embrace our common ground with each other. So looking at verse 3, John says that we have seen and heard we also proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. Very important term. When when John says fellowship, fellowship is this reality where You and I gather around things that we have in common. That's what fellowship is. But there's something really important. The context that John's using is Christian fellowship, fellowship within the context of the community called the church, or followers of Jesus. And so what we gather around is we have one thing in common, one primary thing in common. It's Jesus. He's the rallying point. He's the one that draws us in. He's the one that brings us together. And because of that, that's what we have in common. We have Jesus in common, And if he's the one that is the center of our church, he's the one that's the center of our life, and and he's the one that we gather around, then we always have to come back, what is Jesus saying? What is Jesus doing? How is he working in my life? That always comes down to that. And when when all else is said and done, if Jesus isn't the center of our church, then what we are is we're not a church, we're a club. And we have unwritten rules about who can be in and who's out, and how we're supposed to do things, and certain protocols, and all those kind of things. And we miss the core of what we're supposed to be about is what? Jesus. I always listen for that in conversations when people start saying to me, you know, the Lord said to me or Jesus said to me, I'm like, good, they got it. They didn't say, oh man, Pastor John, you did such a great job today on your message. I've told you. I could care less. If you think I did good or if you think I did bad, all I care about is did you hear Jesus speak to you? When the worship team's up here, I I, I could care less if you like the songs or if you think the sound's really cool. The point is Jesus is here and he wants to encounter us. That's the bottom line. That's what we have in common. That's why we gather. In fact, that's something really important. Sometimes if you find yourselves gravitating toward or away from a church, you better ask the question, am I gravitating towards Jesus or a certain style of church? Because if you're gravitating towards a certain style of church, not always, but sometimes, you may be missing Jesus because it's all about the peripheral stuff. And not about the one that ultimately we have everything in common with. So we want to make sure that we are gathering. Why? Because we want to meet Jesus. We were praying together. In fact, this morning when I was praying earlier, uh, when I woke up this morning, I really felt the Lord say, I am here. Now, it sounds kind of cliche, and it sounds kind of simple, but Jesus is saying, I'm here. I'm here because my people are gathered here. Therefore, I'm here. And so as we, we live out the reality of church in this community, that means that in this place, in this room, in this building, Jesus is present. He's hearing and seeing everything that we're doing, and he's here because he wants to engage us and us to engage him. Then there's the third thing. The third prerequisite of our authenticity is to embrace our connection with God. So John goes on, he says, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So again, this concept of fellowship. So the fellowship we have is we have fellowship with the Father. We have a connection with God, and that connection comes through Who? There you go. It's not a trick question. Jesus. John's just lacing Jesus throughout these four verses. Why? So we get this. He said, your connection to God the Father, your fellowship with him comes through connection to Jesus. Now this is important, because when John's writing this, he's writing to a mindset that isn't necessarily embracing Jesus yet, and he's saying, listen, you talk about God and you want to engage God, but in order to engage God, you have to engage Jesus, because Jesus leads to God, because Jesus is God. Jesus is the connection to the Father. And if we're going to live truly authentic lives, that means that we have to know that our primary connection to the God of the universe is through Jesus. So God, our understanding of God rises and falls on Jesus. If you want to know who God is, you engage Jesus. That's what's so important. That's why we can come up with all kinds of different definitions for who God is or what we think God is. But Jesus makes it pretty clear when he says this in John chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is saying, if you want to connect with God, you connect through me. And that's why I think it's really easy when we can have a very kind of ambiguous definition of God, but then when Jesus comes along, he makes the definition of God very focused because you have to either choose to accept or reject Jesus. Now, if we just refer to God in general terms, it's really easy to give God attributes we like or take ones away that we don't like, but when you come down to Jesus, he gives the definition of who God is. And that's what's so important, that's the polarizing thing of faith, and that's the polarizing thing of Christianity, is that at the end of the day, the bottom line is, what are you going to do about Jesus? Are you going to choose to accept Him, or are you going to choose to reject Him? You know, we live in a world that is more increasingly, more and more spiritual, and more connected to concepts of faith than ever before. And that's why it's important not as a kind of taking some kind of religious stance and saying it's only Jesus and pushing that into people's face, but it's bringing people to Jesus and asking them the question, well, what are you going to do about Jesus? How are you going to respond to Jesus? Because Jesus is different than any other leader of any other faith because of the actions that he took. No other leader of any other faith throughout human history ever did what Jesus did. So David Platt, who's an author, wrote a couple books, one called Radical, He was sharing a story one time. He was in—he was, I think, he was in Pakistan. He's actually talking to uh, a Muslim and a Hindu and a couple other like different kind of realities of faith, and they're having this discussion about God. And so as they are having this discussion, a couple of them said, this is how we reconcile how we as different faiths can understand that we all somehow are connected and worship the same God. And so David said, explain this to me. He said, well, this is the way we understand it. God's up on a mountain, and simply to get to God, all these different paths of faith take different sides of the mountain, different trails, but eventually we all get to the top of the mountain where God lives. And David said, that's a great definition. That's a great understanding of God. He goes, but what if I told you The God who lives up on top of the mountain actually didn't wait for you to climb the mountain, but actually he climbed down the mountain and came and met you right here. What would you think about that God? They'd say, we would love to see that God. He said, let me introduce you to Jesus Christ because that's exactly what Jesus did. See, that's the difference between what, what the world understands in kind of the ambiguous idea of God, this big divine being up on the mountain where Jesus becomes very specific and very defined when he enters into our life and he walked the planet 2,000 years ago and the reality of his spirit still lives inside of us. And because of that, Jesus is the, he is the unifying and also the polarizing factor in faith. So John's writing to engage, and he's still writing to us today. Even if you've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you still have to come at the end of the day to ask the question, how do I engage Jesus? Who is Jesus? Do I understand who he is? And then the final thing, the final prerequisite, I'm just being more brief this morning, because it's kind of just the foundation before we we'll move forward in, in the book of John, or 1 John, over the next few months, But the fourth thing is to embrace God's heart for you. Understanding God truly does love us and cares deeply. John says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What is John saying? John's saying, listen, we're telling you this about removing the compartments, lowering the walls, being integrated, knowing Jesus. Why? Because if you know Jesus, you will experience an authentic, fully integrated life, and it will make our joy complete. Why? Because we care about you, because the God of the universe cares about you. You Just think about it in, in our own lives. What is it that brings joy to us? If we've gotten off of our own agenda and off of ourselves, it's when we see joy come to other people, when we see people realize something that they're longing for, and it's an answer to what the brokenness is in their life, and they encounter that. There's a joy in us. Why? Because they're getting to experience and taste what we've experienced. That's the heart of God through people. It's that thing that gets held out in front of us that says, God so values people that his greatest joy is Jesus' death and resurrection that frees us from sin and gives us eternal life, which makes the joy of Jesus complete, which makes the joy of John complete, that if we know Jesus and we see other people experience that, then it makes our joy and our heart complete as well. Listen to the motivation of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us Also lay aside every weight sin which so clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to jesus The founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despite despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of god So jesus knew the joy that was set before him. What's the joy set before jesus? Maybe a better question. Who is the joy set before jesus? It's us. It's us. When, when we, we sang a song earlier that when he was being crucified, he was thinking of who? Us. That's the joy. And he's thinking, if I can go through this suffering, and I can go through this pain, if I can go through death into life, the ultimate joy, the crown of what I'm walking through is the salvation of humanity. And his joy is complete. To understand that heart of God for us means that God, that Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to be hypocrites. He didn't die on the cross for us to live in compartments. He didn't die on the cross for you and I to manage our sin and brokenness and keep it away from everybody. He died for a holistic salvation that brings every aspect of who we are to the forefront so that we can fully become who he created us to be. In a sense, one of the things that Jesus died on the cross for is for us to stop playing the religious game, to be honest. You know, one of the things I'll just, I'm not, I don't want to call him out, but you, you, when Danny was leading worship today, he just said something. He said, I'm going through a hard time. I love the authenticity that Danny can say in front of our church as I'm leading worship. I'm going through a hard time. And people didn't look at him cross and oh, worship leader can't go through a hard time. He's supposed to walk on water. No, he's being honest. <laughs> Danny doesn't set a compartment over here and say, okay, I'm going to leave that stuff here. And then he's going to step on stage. Ta-da, Here I am. That would be phony. I think all of us have to come to grips with that kind of transparency in our lives because Jesus wants to bring to the surface those things that need to be dealt with in our lives so we are what? Fully integrated. Wouldn't it be nice that no matter what context you're in, whether at work, at school, at home, at church, you were the same person everywhere you went? You didn't have to think twice. How do I talk to this person? What do I say? What do I not say? What do I don't want them to know? So how do I put on a mask? What if you could just walk into any room and be yourself fully where you are? For some of us, that would be a huge relief. I could stop playing the game. I could stop hiding all that stuff in my life. I can really fully be who Jesus created me to be. That's what John's talking about. That's what Jesus has called us to experience. So in a moment, we're gonna receive communion together. There's stations that will set up around the room. In fact, I'm gonna ask if the, the worship team would come and join me again. We're gonna engage with worship again as we head towards the conclusion of our service but as we prepare for that i I want us to to understand something about what God calls us to do today so so in in a moment as as the team is leading uh, there are elements located at four different stations around the auditorium and so you're you're welcome at any point in the remainder of our gathering and our worship to to make your way to to those stations but let me let me give some explanation context for what we're doing this morning so two thousand years ago when jesus in fact it was it was just before he he went on trial just before he he went to the cross just before his resurrection he had a meal with his disciples and knowing what was coming knowing what what was on his agenda the father's agenda for him was to go to the cross to give his life and so he knew that his disciples needed something tangible not just kind of a concept but something tangible as a symbol to point back to what they were going to experience, what they were going to see him do in the next few days on their behalf. And so it says that he, they took what? They took bread, and he broke bread, and then they took wine, and they took, and they took those two things, the, the bread as a symbol. Jesus saying, listen, this is my body. That not figuratively, but literally is going to be broken for you on your behalf. And he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood a representation of my blood that will literally be shed for you. And in doing that, he said said these really important words. He said, do this to remember me. Why would Jesus say at one of the most pivotal moments for his disciples about what he was going to do, he would say that phrase because he knows, he knew his disciples and he knows his people and he knows that we suffer from amnesia. (laughs) we forget we forget who jesus is we forget what jesus has done for us we forget what it really means to follow him we forget why because we live our lives and we begin to make assumptions about what faith is we make assumptions about who jesus is and then jesus once again calls us back and says no remember remember what i did for you remember what your life's supposed to look about don't get caught up in the culture don't get caught up in the world don't get caught up in the church culture and just the rhythm of doing life and thinking this is the way it's supposed to be come back to remember what i did for you and what it's supposed to do in your life and so what i'm going to ask us to do is we go and receive those elements that one of the things that jesus will always do and especially as we remember him today one of the things that is a reminder to us is that this is the way that god dealt with our sin that Jesus' death had to happen for our sin to be dealt with, for Jesus to take our sin on himself. And in doing that, what he does is he takes what's in darkness and he brings it into the light so it no longer can be hidden. So when you receive these elements in the next few moments, this is not the opportunity for somehow you to walk heavy with shame and condemnation. It's the opportunity for you to step out of darkness into light, which John talks a lot about in 1 John. It's not, a, not, it's not out of fear. It's not like, oh, I'm going to be caught. I'm going to be exposed. It's like, no, Jesus is walking me from the brokenness and the darkness of this compartment of my life into all of life, which is supposed to be lived in the light. I don't have to hide anymore. I can be honest about my brokenness because that is the first step towards your freedom. Some of us are bound because we are afraid to step out of the darkness into the light. We are afraid to be authentic. We would rather be compartmentalized. Why? Because we're afraid what might happen if it truly came into the light. Let me encourage you as we go through 1 John, read the Gospel of John. When Jesus brought the brokenness of somebody from darkness into light, he didn't put shame on them. He didn't condemn them. He actually forgave them and set them free. That's the Jesus that we know. That's the Jesus that we serve. That's the Jesus that we follow. He's here today to do this in us. So just would you close your eyes as we prepare to do this and and just focus your heart and your attention that when you receive those elements, You are remembering today that Jesus gave his life for you so that you didn't have to hide anything anymore. You didn't have to manage your sin on the side. You can bring it right into the light of his forgiveness, of his acceptance, of his freedom. And so, Jesus, would you do that as we embark on this journey of truly embracing authenticity in your life? I pray that today... Lord, whatever things that we are hiding, whatever things are in the closet, whatever things are over in another compartment, would you begin to just lower the walls and begin to allow our lives like a flood just to be integrated together so that, Lord, what comes to the surface are those things that you want to deal with so that we can have forgiveness and freedom and life because you gave your life for us. We were the joy that was set before you. And because of that, Lord, you pursued us so that someday we would know you. And so today, let us experience all that you have for us. We thank you, Jesus.